0: If you've been listening to this episode for a long time, I just want to acknowledge that you have probably heard this talk before. However, it is a year's anniversary almost since this talk, and it feels even more relevant now. Christy Bates of Oxford, Mississippi. Welcome to episode 97 of the Deep South Dharma podcast, being released on Sunday, November 15th, 2020. As I mentioned, the talk today is a rerun from a year ago. It is on the subject of what life can be like for us, what the experience can be like for us when we lose a major source of support. The reason for rerunning the talk is twofold. One is to honor the fact that it has been a year since the death of my dear friend, Byron Simpson. But also, since that time, 1.31 million people worldwide have died from COVID-19 that may not have otherwise died. And in the US alone, over 245,000 people have died. Um, About 1,400 of those just yesterday in this country. And so for those of you who may be newer to the podcast, who may be feeling that loss of a major source of support i am hoping that this particular episode will be of some use to you and also just want to say that it is so important that we keep moving and taking positive steps toward the changes and the corrections and the healing that we want to accomplish in our world But our activities cannot come, or should not come, ideally would not come, at the expense of staying aware of the grief that is happening for ourselves and others at this time. If our actions come from the motive of aversion, of avoiding feeling, they will not bear fruit in the ways that we hope. So yes, the work on the Senate runoffs, other work toward justice, toward healing sick people, all of that, but being sure that some portion of the day, hopefully several times a day, checking in with ourselves, noticing how we feel, tending to our own hearts. In the one month that has passed since Byron Simpson's death what stands out to me the most is the number of people who have shared stories of his having been at their side during some life-changing life-defining moment even more than the many I already knew of it almost made me think how was that all that possible Because he wasn't a person that ran around looking overly busy. He never really let you know everything that he had going on. And when he was with you, he was present, time slowed down. He participated in so many things, but he managed to be connected to people in such meaningful ways, whether it was about our joys or our concerns. Some of it was Byron's spontaneous thoughtfulness that allowed him to be efficient, I guess you would say. It wasn't unheard of to get a text from him inviting you for coffee at Waffle House late at night if he suspected you were not sleeping and might want company while you waited for an update about some crisis unfolding in a loved one's life. And some of it was his warm-heartedness and his willingness to include you in going to dinner or movies or sometimes to an escape room that could feel a little bit too much like work. At the same time, it was completely possible for Byron to float an idea for something really fun for the upcoming weekend and get several people involved in a text chain, get them totally on board, and then for him to say, okay, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to go yet. (laughs) I'll find out what's going on this weekend, and if I'm able to, I'll confirm later this week. And of course, you'd be like, whiplash. But this was because part of his efficiency in doing all the many things he did and being with people was having a plan B set up in just this way. Now, it might sound like I'm saying there was a lack of commitment, and that's not the case. Plan A was the commitment. Plan A was to be accessible to his family, especially on any given weekend where one or more of his sons would be available. Now that they were grown, it was possible and totally developmentally appropriate that they might be busy or out of town. Hence the plan B. Byron was going to have a nice weekend no matter what. But if any combination of Dylan, Noah, and or Bennett were in town and free, Byron's first interest was taking that opportunity to spend the time with them, along with Jim, and in between visits to Jim's mother when she was still alive. I'd also say there was a Plan A.1. Plan A.1 was being on call to other families who were seeking help for their loved ones, Byron was hilarious and playful, and had enough extra dad energy to give a group of his middle aged friends our own personal fire extinguishers one Christmas. The weekend before Byron died, he and I were at a meditation retreat together on the 10 qualities of a beautiful human being, which are a list of qualities that, when fully developed, represent the best of us, and more than that, represent more power for doing good than we can normally imagine. Byron was particularly taken with the quality called resolve, sometimes rendered as determination. And he explored the topic of resolve deeply during the retreat and in the days after. At the end of the day, we made plans, tentative plans, of course, for breakfast on Sunday morning, before I was to leave to return to Mississippi, where I live now. Later that night, he texted to confirm that he would be joining the 9 a.m. breakfast at Bellevue Diner, and I replied, teasing by text, Are you resolved? And he replied with two letters, HA, as in, Aren't you so funny? So all of this is to say that while he had a full life of his own, Byron was not just ornamental for any of us. He was part of our structure, part of the post and beams with which many of us framed our lives. And of course, we know intellectually that the structures of our lives are impermanent. We know that wallpaper peels and tapestries fade. Furniture becomes worn and stained, but we do tend to expect the post and beams to stand long after the sheetrock has crumbled. It really shakes things up for us to realize that even those people who have been part of the structure of how we live and see ourselves and our lives, that they go too, and the shifting is not just cosmetic, but cataclysmic. We know we can't replace what we've lost. Now that one of our weight-bearing posts has fallen, the rest of us who bear weight with each other rearrange ourselves a bit, coming closer here, spacing ourselves there, to keep the sky from falling. And of course, there are some parts of the sky that will just need to fall for a while, and that's appropriate. All of this bears witness to the fact that we need more than our fragile bodily structures to shelter us. And we all have our various ways, some traditional, some non-traditional, of finding or building structures that can support and outlast us. The writer David Kessler reminds us that people die, but relationships don't die. Love doesn't die. I hear in that, some reassurance that we will find that it was not the sense of shelter or sense of refuge in each other that was an illusion. It will be this sense we have of the fallen sky that is the illusion. Those of us who grieve Byron will not cease to grieve him, but we will find a way through this wounded, painful time to live with our grief and to be borne up by those things that cannot die, our relationship to our loved one, and those things that Byron was full of, things like love, integrity, humility, creativity, generosity, and sure, resolve.